Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to our low effort, low quality podcast. This is Liz Brunig. This is my husband, Matt. Hi, everyone. We got a fall feeling in the brew house here. Yeah, we have a, a boo sign. We do have a, it says boo. You can see it from outside, although it's backwards outside. Yeah. Um, it has an exclamation point it on does. the end. I just figured it was more important to me that we have a boo in the house than people on the sidewalk have a boo. I don't yeah. know. Who cares about the people outside? Well, I mean, I do care. Maybe I'll get another one and I'll turn it around the other way. But I just wanted us to have a boo. Well, and you could figure it out from the outside if you really wanted yeah, to. Yeah, that's true. It's only three letters. Yeah. You get where I'm going with it. The exclamation point might read as an L. That's the only complication. Yeah, why would I say bull? Yeah, but if it's backwards, then you, you got to work that out as well and be like, Lou, what is going on? You know, <laughs> I'm not saying someone couldn't do it, but backwards, you got to forward. You go, oh, it's boo. And then the exclamation point looks kind of like an L. I get that. But backwards, you got to not only flip it, and but then also. I think the point at which the dunce caps on the sidewalk are thinking I have a sign that says bull in my window is a point at which I no longer care <laughs> what they think. And well, I'm not bull's a real thing, though. Oh, I know it is. Yeah. Boolean logic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you know? mentioned that. We've Used also uh, we've got some cinnamon brooms in the house from the Trader Joe's, from the TJ's. All right. Smell good. Smell like cinnamon. Yeah, I suppose. Add a little uh, rustic touch. Uh, and then we got some Trader Joe's candles. We got vanilla pumpkin. We got Honeycrisp apple. Yeah, smells that's good. true. Yeah, I, I don't really notice the smell, though. But maybe I just don't smell that you well. You can't smell it, or you just don't notice it when you do? I just don't notice it. I mean, I get, if I'm right on top of it, I, I smell it, I suppose. You smell great. We I, uh, I lit the candles the other night. We had folks over for chili and cornbread. Mm-hmm. It smelled amazing in here. Got to get that fall feeling going, guys. Got to get that fall feeling going. I suppose. You know? I could take it or leave it, I guess. No, no, no. You got to be festive. We have Jane's Halloween costume. She's going to be Tinkerbell. Do you think that was cute? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to winter. I want to go into Rock Creek Park in the winter. I did a little bit last winter, but I think it would be interesting to yeah. see all the streams frozen up and stuff. There's a risk of you being injured in there. I do worry about that sometimes when you kind of go hiking by yourself. No, I mean, you know. It's not like I'm out on a mountain or something. You're going to get cornered by Center for American Progress agents. Very few people come on this arm of Rock Creek Park for some reason. I only see, uh, you know, maybe one person out there every four or five goes. Is it always the same guy? No, it's always different people. Well, let's hope Matt doesn't get a tick and get Lyme disease again, which actually did happen. Uh, during one of his uh, one of his walks in the woods. We've talked about this on Twitter. It was very traumatic for me. Matt didn't really seem to give a shit, though. I don't know that I had Lyme disease. You, Matt, you were diagnosed by a doctor with Lyme well, disease. Well, but she just looked at it. It was, a, it was a perfect bullseye rash. I didn't feel anything, is what I'm saying. They gave him 500 doxycycline, and he took, like, two of them, and he was like, I'm actually fine. I'm just going to run through it. Well, I would forget to take it because I didn't feel anything. A lot of people do. It's a big problem with medicine. Yeah. Well, so now you're going to have Lyme disease the rest of your life and it's going to like drill into your brain and it's fine. I don't think I had it. I think I got the rash, but the rash, I don't know that the rash is a hundred percent indicator I that you got is. the Lyme. It could just be every time you get a tick bite, it looks like that. That's bullshit. No, there's no possible. Anyways, way. I'm not a doctor, but it was, it didn't affect me physically except you know, the little mark on my skin. So. So we got a lot of stuff to keep an eye on in terms of where Matt's uh, going to go from here. Uh, we have hot topics this week. Amber was on the Today Show. Amber Wyatt, the subject of Liz's 9,000-word uh, piece from two weeks ago, Yep, um, was raped in Texas in 2006, was not prosecuted, um, yep. went on the Today Show with Megyn Kelly, and Gloria Allred was there as well, and it it went really well. Watch the video think today. It went really well. Yeah, she told her story, and then Gloria was there to talk about the legal stuff, which I thought was a good. It was a good team, you know. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really, uh, I'm really happy with how uh, with how this has been received. I think Amber did a great job on the Today Show. She's amazing. Uh, really happy to see that. Yeah, yeah there were no problems with it. Yeah, Megan, I didn't. Megan, Megan didn't try to. You know, she's not on Fox News anymore, so yeah. <laughs> she didn't try to do any any shenanigans. Just, just she wasn't like, you know. but Santa was white. Yeah, she she yeah. played it straight. She did. I thought um, she did a great job. That the interview went well. 
Uh, I thought Amber did a great job. I really couldn't be more grateful. Uh, in other hot topics, oh my God, Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> Brett Kavanaugh. That's a l'affaire de Brett Kavanaugh. No one is mentioning, you know, I was thinking the other day, if I were conservative and I would just want to be like real dipshit, which I mean, that's what, that's what. Yeah, at that point, why not? That's what you want to do. Yeah. I would talk about how they're using Irish stereotypes against him. <laughs> you know? Like, like, oh, okay. So I get it because he's a Kavanaugh. He's a heavy drinker. and a uh-huh. fun. Mm-hmm. These drinking Irish beasts. I get it. Yeah. And just like pretend it's 1910 again. Yeah. Just accuse everyone who's against Kavanaugh of no nothingism. I'm surprised like Michael Brennan Dory doesn't okay. go for that. All right. Okay. He loves being Irish. So I feel uh, like this would be a good thing for him, you know, to go into. There are other famously black Irish pundits. That's online. true. There are some, um, there are other, Ir- but they're liberals. So you wouldn't expect. That's true. That's true. You know? They, they don't really have any, any dog in this fight unless they're just that attached to their Irish identity. Yeah, um, I don't think so, though. Matt's Irish, as far as we know. Maybe. Mm, I don't know. No one knows. I haven't I haven't done one of those fake gene things yet. Yeah, I got a doctor friend who told me that when you do 23andMe, they just pull the answers out of a hat. No, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they give you a random result, and then they send the sample over to the CIA. Yeah. That, that's like how it works. That's it's what genius. happens, basically. They're like, yeah, good job. You're descended from a prince and a unicorn. And then they send your your shit to the the CIA with your zip code and your fucking I've looked into it a little bit. And the issue really is the database that they're comparing against is just way too small. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, like a few thousand or 20,000 samples. And they kind of just are like, well, we got a bunch of samples from this part of the world. And so we just kind of assume that DNA is like that part of the world, but it's, it's not enough. And like, yeah. obviously parts of the world have always had diverse DNA because people have always yeah. moved. So, you know, Matt's got methodological a, objection. Well, yeah. I know. Mean, what's the point? Yeah. I mean, I bet I'll do it when I'm like, you know, it's like a, really, it's like a 40 year old, 50 year old kind yeah. of thing when you're like, I need to go back and figure out, you know, you and hit you, midlife and you're like, I don't know who I am. I don't. Yeah. And you start going through, you know, you start tracing your family tree or you yeah. start trying to do that. I think I will run up against a wall really quickly if I like, let me go through the records or something. Yeah. Unless I go on like one of those PBS shows. Um, so we got to hook you up with Skip Gates. Skip Gates. Yeah, I need to get really famous and then Skip Gates can do it. Yeah. And then I'll tell him, stay away from the many of the bad stuff. Don't oh. talk about all the welfare fraud. Don't. <laughs> that was okay. But anything that makes me look bad. Yeah. You know. I was funny the uh well I mean it's not funny but like the thing it's always like it's always like slavery that's the one that always comes up yeah and uh unless you're uh, Bernie who was a great liberator descended from a but great liberator Larry David yeah <laughs> Larry David who's like uh you were one of the only Jewish families in Alabama mm-hmm. and you had slaves ah oh, Larry Slavid you would think it's like yeah. Jewish, I don't have to deal with that, yeah, but yet I still did. Unfortunately. And then of course there have also been there have also been black guests who whose ancestors have owned slaves and that's always really uncomfortable. I yeah, I always feel like that's very rare, so it's odd that they managed to find the only people who have these highly idiosyncratic backgrounds, but Well, uh, there's that, yeah. Maybe it's because you're only dealing with elites and so they come that's from it. elite families. No, that's yeah. it. That's it. Like Yeah, like Ta- like Tanahazi Coates is a good example yeah. of this. Like He's not an elite, like in a great sense, but like, you know, these things are very sticky. So like in his background and on that show, it was like one of his ancestors was a slave, Mm -hmm. but before the war, she was like one of the few people that had been freed. Oh, cool. And like given like, I don't know, like, you know, 70 acres of land or something in Maryland Mm -hmm. by her former, you know, owner or whatever. And it was like, he's like oh my family still owns land in that area and so on and oh, it's wow. like you see like it's a long the the, the tentacles yeah. go back so long and it's yeah. like you know maybe one of the reasons why it just kind of confirms the point in many ways it's like you know <laughs> people who were held back in that period are still held back now and people who got lucky and you know i am genuinely curious about your family background now because i wonder i mean i'm sure it's just welfare fraud all the way down as soon as there was welfare, there were Brunigs. Well, I did look up at one point only because my dad always was interested in like 
he was like, I know our my some of my Brunig ancestors fought in the Civil War on the like Union side. Yeah. And it was like, I don't know. He kept being interested in that. And yeah, I, remember I remember he would that. be like, oh, when we go to D.C., we can go to the National Archives or something. Yeah. I was like, is that real? Can yeah, you just it's totally go? real. Yeah. Anyways, look that up. And I found some stuff. Where it's like, yeah, there were a couple of Brunics that were from where some of our known family w- was. And they Missouri. were in the, they were, the record is just that they collected a pension. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> so I looked at it and yeah, and immediately mm-hmm. it was like, well, I don't know. That it might not be yeah. enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> collecting a, a mm-hmm. Civil War pension to, uh, in, in my family, I don't think is necessarily an indicator <laughs> that you <laughs> actually <laughs> fought in the Civil War. Classic Brunic. <laughs> Classic Brunic. Oh, they're giving out pensions. Okay. Free money, I hear. I'll go. Is this uh, where I sign up for the free money? Pensions for everyone is my pensions view. For and, everyone, you know, TBH. short of that, then I should uh, just. Pension for me. Then I should, you know, do what I can. You know, you got to get by out there on this bitch of an earth. Uh, we've completely avoided talking about uh, the actual substance of LaFaire Brett Kavanaugh, which is probably for the better because everyone else has too. Um, yeah, that was what your piece was about yeah. in the Washington Post this week. One of them. You also had a piece about fall, that's which we already talked about. That's correct. Uh, thanks for the rundown. I did have a piece in the Washington Post uh, basically maintaining that uh, there's been, you know, very little discussion of the actual substance of uh, objections to Brett Kavanaugh. My objection to Brett Kavanaugh is I don't like conservatives on the Supreme Court. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's going to make bad decisions. Yeah, hurt people, cause and problems. I'd rather, my view is that you should make good decisions. Yeah, that, so I'm against people yeah, who I want to do bad people, decisions. Especially, I mean, oh. um, I'm neutral towards good and bad decisions on the on the individual level, but on the governance level, I think there should only be good decisions. Yeah, you know, that's just my view. That's just one. You know, way we can of agree to disagree world. for people who prefer yeah. bad decisions. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a. I'm going to start a good decisions party. Yeah, I think that would honestly get so many Democrats. <laughs> Probably would. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on how you pitched it. Yeah. Like only good decisions and responsible choices. You'd immediately have like $10 million. Yeah. Bloomberg would pump in a bunch of money. And the Souds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we had a foreign policy piece, I could definitely get the Souds and the United Arab Emirates and yeah. Dubai. I could probably raise $40 million in a few hours in a meeting mm-hmm. in D.C. on you that. Should, uh, you should make a small dovish foreign policy wing of PPP that finances the rest of it. Just with uh, no, the money. dovishness is the problem, though. Like they want you to, you know, they want you to. They want hawk foreign policy. Yeah, they want you to send them the arms, oh. the, you know, the weapons, and oh, they want yeah. you to, yeah, keep the heat up on Iran and all oh, that kind of God, stuff. No. That's that's the game. Don't entangle me in this shit. Yeah. I'm just trying to run a little Patreon think tank. But you know, I could rip them off or something. Yeah, you you know, if anyone could rip off the Gulf, you probably could. I hope that it wouldn't endanger your life or mine, which it also probably would. Um, It'll be all right. Yeah, but you're pretty slippery on the other hand. I'm not, though. That's the thing. I need to hire someone to... I've seen you get out of tickets. ...to convince them. Yeah, but... Accidental. Accidental. You used to say, the police can't touch me. That's a quote. Well, it did seem like that for a while did seem like that. And they did touch you finally. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. come that's come down. Uh so that was what my piece was about and I'm essentially arguing that uh because of uh the way that liberal democracies work essentially, uh we all speak in a language of lies all the time to one another and everyone knows everyone else is lying and so it's led to this situation where we have a complete dissolution of all political trust. Um and so very sensitive issues like the Christine Blasey Ford allegations that do require a lot of trust, the people who are posing the allegations and the people who are having to evaluate them from the opposite side, uh, you know, those situations are immediately doomed uh to to complete bad faith mishandling. Uh and I find that really unfortunate. I've seen a lot of victims who've come out uh during Christine Blasey Ford's testimony to talk about what they've been through and, and I know that's not easy. Um but I, I don't think it was also ever going to necessarily really have an impact because when it comes down to it, the nomination process and the confirmation process are just about raw political power. Yes. No, that's right. And I think it's really unfortunate. I mean, because it's like to con- connect the two of them because yeah. then you can never get justice for the, um, you know, victim because, well, since this is intermixed also yeah. with a major political question, such as are conservatives or liberals going to dominate the court, 
then people are just going to take whatever side. And I mean, while we're on this subject, the Supreme Court sucks. Yeah. No, it's a stupid, it's stupidly run and it's a, it's a sort of tyrannical institution. It I mean, is. not, it's not a reactionary not, institution. Yeah. I mean, not even to go into like, but like, yeah, if you, if you want to have a sort of responsive government, then you want to make the court as a minimal as possible, right? Like they should be there to kind of interpret things, to apply the law, that sort of stuff. They shouldn't have the ability to knock down laws. Yeah. They shouldn't, like, that's like a normal way to do it. You want to put the power in the elected bodies. Right, um, the, the democratically elected bodies that represent the will of the people, not these elite institutions that are appointees, right? I mean... Right. Yeah, you're right, right. And I mean, it's especially, you know, even it's just the kind of person that is going to go into an appointed elite institution is someone like Kavanaugh. Like, I think they're saying, like, what, the majority of the court is from Yale? Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, the person themselves are not going to be representative. They're going to come from their own sort of cosmopolitan class and, and like, uh, not not in a, like, positive sense of the word. Um, And, yeah. And then they're basically, they have a veto power over everything the government does. Mm-hmm. Um, which is ridiculous. And then the check and balance is supposed to be that what? Congress can impeach them? I mean, it would be impossible to get the votes together to impeach someone like that. I got to take and for so you. I, don't, uh, I think that we have checks and balances, but really we should just have checks. Yeah, I don't uh, know what a balance is. The checks and checks take, I would call it. I mean, I don't even want checks and balances. For I don't want either of them, frankly. We should have a mix of checks, like a checks mix. No, I think you just want unified government. Whoever wins the parliament should more or less be able to do what they want to do. I mean, that's basically the best way to go. Um, it's all about it's all about power, building political power. You know, and I mean, they're receptive to the fact that they've got to continue to win the next election. I mean, you you want to respect democratic norms yeah. in the sense that you want to like make sure you're open to losing the next election, that sort of thing. Yeah. But short of that. You know, yeah. The check of the government is that they can be kicked out. Yeah, go hog wild. They your, can. Your votes to check. That's it. Every yeah. few years, you can kick them out. Yeah. Or if it's really blowing up, they'll you'll get a special uh, election. Uh, yeah, you'll yeah they'll dissolve or whatever. I mean, that's them. a. You know, there are pros and cons to each, but that is definitely seems to be the one that gets you the best outcomes. Um, you know, because it's more responsive to to the people and therefore the people tend to be more like working class and interested in you know the welfare state and that sort of stuff do you remember uh when we were debating uh and kids would use foucault and they would have like a criterion uh which was biopower yeah biopower there was a kid who said it like that and there was a kid who had a foghorn leghorn accent who said it biopower that's what he said I debated that kid maybe four times my whole high school career, and every time I would go up against him, he'd be like, my criterion's bowel power. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, my God, I can't keep a straight face. Yeah. How am I going to make it through this? Bow, bow, bow power. Bow, power. Bow, power. Yeah. I just wanted it's to It's impenetrable it. also. It's a, it's a very mysterious and highly obfuscated idea. Uh, and also, when you're going to say it like that, I just, I'm, that's basically a form of abuse in the round. Because I can't function if you're talking like that. No, that's great. That's a good tactic. You know, put on a fake uh, accent. The tactic I I used uh, very rarely, but occasionally, depending on the person, of just making um, nonsensical arguments. And then, you know, like basically causing their brains to short circuit. I would use that against people who seem to have a certain uh, mental composition. Yeah. How would you pick them out, Matt? You know. Just my ways. You know, you can, you have an eye for weakness. You smell blood in the water. You could just tell people who like, they're going to struggle if you say something that doesn't make sense. Do you remember that kid from South Lake who got super pissed during rounds? That kid made me nervous. He had a shaved head. He would get so mad during, he would like bang on his desk. And then I don't mean in the parliamentary style. I mean, this is LD, so we don't do that. I don't remember that kid. He no. would be red. He would be so mad. I bet he was a big time internet user. Um, you know, I wasn't using the internet much in high school. There, were, there was a guy at the debate tournament, his name was Grant, who would bring his computer and play World of Warcraft at the uh, tournament. Yeah, yeah. The yeah World I of Warcraft him. guy. He was pretty good. He was very good. Yeah. 
Yeah, and apparently also good at World of Warcraft. I guess. There was a kid one time that I was debating whose initials were PB, and myself and a teammate were standing there, and Proctor turned around. Proctor was our coach. He was like, PB, what do you think that stands for? And my teammate said penis bag at the same time I said peanut butter. Okay. <laughs> and we both got in trouble for some reason. No, peanut butter seems fine. Peanut butter is totally fine, but I got I got group punished. I mean, Procter didn't have any control over us anyway. But uh, anyway, uh, other hot topics. Uh, pretty good on hot topics, I think. That's the only topic in the country. It's the only topic in the country right now, unfortunately, is uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, we're going to put a poll out on the Patreon, uh, after this. So check up, uh, check up for updates on the Patreon site. We might start one. I'm and, thinking, uh, I'm sincerely thinking about it. And I'm going to ask you guys, uh, definitions and I'm going to let you pick from a list of four for boofing devil's triangle and Ralph week. Yeah. And we'll decide it democratically what these things mean. How, how about you, Matt? You got, you got guesses. What's boofing? Would you say if you had to guess? I don't know. I just, whatever's on Urban Dictionary, that's what I go with. <laughs> if you had to guess. Whatever's on Urban Dictionary, okay. it's it's some sort of, you know, suppository-based drug injection system. Do you think that um, butt-chugging, as you call it, should uh, disqualify you from being on the Supreme Court? Well, I don't think doing that should disqualify you, but I do think that lying about doing that, and specifically yeah. not lying about doing that, but lying about the definition of the word as it was yeah. commonly used in yeah. 1988, that is my actual view. That's, that's my only view. That's the only reason I don't want him to be yeah. judged, actually. I was completely with him until he Jesus denied that Christ. boofing means butt-chugging. And then I was like, this man doesn't have a judicial temperament <laughs> at all. <laughs> a real judge would be like, I did butt chug. I like butt chugging. Yeah. Then I would be okay with it. Yeah. I'd be like, all right, good. Honorable man. Uh, Almighty. Why do we play like this? I don't know. I live in hell. It's the top level. Yeah. The discourse is just p pretending. It's just all playing around. Just, we're just going to play. We're My thing play. is he, he didn't, he lied about what boofing means. And therefore, mm. he should not be judge. Devil's really? Triangle? This is not a game with quarters. This is what is actually commonly known as the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, no judge. No judge. No judge. No judge. No judge. Crystal is a here. Uh, I've looked into the Devil's Triangle for the past uh, six weeks. <laughs> I uh, did some uh, undercover reporting. Oh, my God. Um, with uh, me and Wolf Blitzer. Craigslist.org. Oh, my God. Um. <laughs> Here's what we found. <laughs> uh oh god and then there's the whole secondary spin-off discussion which is about like has this energized republicans have democrats lost their midterm oh, enthusiasm yeah. this gap? is how you got trump we we just keep having that debate every time every time like basically there's something totally indefensible going on on the republican side of things yeah there's like 45 takes that are just like you know what uh making a big deal about how fucking crazy this is that's how you get trump that's how you, you know get what? Trump. Every time, every time you say that rape is bad, I vote for Trump one That's more Trump. time. That's how you get Trump. That's how you got Trump. That's how you get Trump. That's how you got Trump. Trump take. God almighty. God, just absolutely want to fire a gun in my own mouth. <sighs> the discourse, the discourse. But you had a good contribution to the discourse this week. It concerned my boss, Jeff Bezos, who's great. Yeah. Well, yeah. Way. He's not your boss, boss. He just owns the Washington Post. Well, in that sense, he's the most bossy of all my bosses. Yeah, but, you know, I own a small fraction of every company in the country through my mutual fund. But I am not a boss, exactly. Would be, you know, that's the problem, is that it's the shareholders. Uh, they're the ones that the company should be ignoring. They should just be more empowered and autonomous. That's the, yes, that's the issue. That's just one the of my shareholder opinion. revolution, that's yeah. the key problem. It's, it's not... You know that the wealth is all owned by a small class of people. It's really that the corporate culture is really degraded. You That's know? what it is. When I see Jeff Bezos, I feel like there's a man with no power, and I want to arm him with weapons, and I want to arm him. Well, he's a he's a complex figure because oh. he both owns a lot of wealth and is a is a CEO. Um, a though he's not the CEO of the Post. Muddled in that respect. Um, but yeah, no. Yeah, so so yeah, so I wrote a piece that was. Um, this is all sarcasm, by the way. We're making fun of a dominant strain of think tankery. There's a piece. There was a thing that I've been thinking about for a while, 
which uh, unifies um, the two, I wouldn't say they're like, I don't know. It's hard to know what the big policy issues are because I'm in such a bubble in like the stuff I read, you know? It's boofing. And, <laughs> but you know, in the think tank, when I'm thinking about like the policy terrain as it's developing in the think tankish world, right? You've got like the job guarantee thing, which cap thought was important enough to kind of do a rip off of that was not really a job guarantee but like anyways that's an indicator yeah. right like that that's a thing um and then you've got this antitrust thing that's yeah. like really bubbling and there's different parts of all of this like the job guarantee i would say first and foremost is about employing is about providing unemployment benefits to people yeah but you have to kind of work for them we call it work for that's, you know, that's one aspect of it. There are other aspects of it. Antitrust has a lot of aspects of it, including, I think, most importantly, um, allowing new businesses to get going. Yeah. Right. You know, if you don't smother the market, you can yeah. let new businesses get going. And that's important for like innovation. And mm -hmm. like there's a lot of pieces of that. But one thing that unifies them and the way that they try to plug into a longstanding issue that we've had in the country is that they have a particular theory about how they're going to raise wages. Right. Right. So we've had since, you know, 1970 or whatever, you know, wages have been pretty stagnant for the mm -hmm. median worker. Um, and so what are we going to do about that? And conventionally, I guess, if you kind of, if you kind of take the economic policy institutes view, cause they're sort of the gatekeeper of this issue in mm -hmm. some ways, cause they produce that striking graph. Is they're just like, you need unions, 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 right? Okay. Um, but these new, like the job guarantee and antitrust stuff takes another view, which is you don't need, it's not to say that they're opposed to unions, right? but their particular policies operate by making the labor markets more competitive. So the JG people will sometimes say, I think even incorrectly in their own, like internally, yeah. but whatever, this is what they say, that... Well, if you have a guaranteed job, then that's going to give you more leverage over your employer because you have more choice. You could quit your employer and go to the public job. True. Right. And so it's operating by increasing competition for workers, yep. giving individual workers, individual workers more options of where to work. Sounds like more freedom to me, honestly. And antitrust is the same way. Yeah. Because they're like, well, if we break up the companies, then there'll be more companies. Mm -hmm. And so instead of having one person who employs warehouse workers in an area, you might have five. And then you can you have more options. And if you have more options, you can kind of play those options off of one another in a savvy way to individually increase your wages. Right. So it's, they're operating through increased labor market competition. What is interesting to me about unions and interesting to me about what happened with Amazon this week where they increased their minimum wage by 15 an hour mm -hmm. is that they don't operate like that. Right. They're not saying we're going to make the labor market more competitive and that's going to give individual workers more leverage in their individual wage negotiations with employers. They say let's give workers power in their companies mm -hmm. where they already work. Let's instead of saying, well, we're going to give Amazon warehouse workers another warehouse that they could switch to. We're going to give Amazon workers power over Amazon wage setting. There you go. We're going to give them a union. We're going to put them on the boards, you know, like uh, we'll, we'll give them 30 percent of the seats on the corporate board. We'll do things like that so that they have power inside their own company. Right. They're at the table when the wages are being set and they're able to exert power. In that way. And to me, that's a very different thing. Yeah. Um, and there was an economist on Twitter who, uh, he has a terminology for this that I, I, I gather he coined, but that I was not aware of um, mm. when I wrote the piece, which is internal power versus external power. Mm. Do so, you find that to be a useful way of thinking? Yeah, because yeah. it's like there are certain things that give workers power internal to the firm. Mm -hmm. They give power over decisions that the firm itself makes by making them like, sort of partners in the decision-making process. Right. And there's power that gives them sort of the external ability to leave the firm. Yeah. Sometimes it kind of maps onto like the idea of voice versus exit. Mm -hmm. um, not quite, but like voice versus exit is like, if you're in an organization, you have two things you can do to express yourself. You yeah. can either say 
what you want and try to get mm-hmm. the organization to go on or you can leave. Um, this, I think, is a little bit different because it's not just voice. It's not just we want workers to be able to express what they want. It's like, no, we want workers to actually have the power, power, real power. to do what they want. Um, this is the power cast. And so that was basically the piece. I was like, the Amazon thing is a very interesting example of how you don't actually need, not to say it's a bad thing or that right. it wouldn't help, but you don't actually need a more competitive labor market to increase wages. You just need to give workers more power where they are. And this example, you know, it's obviously it's a little bit of a weird example because it's not like a unionized Amazon workforce got this done, but it is still nonetheless in that spirit because you had labor activists and then you had elected officials. You had people using social power of one sort or another to get the, the firm to change its mind and do something other it's doing um not because it had a competitive need to do it yeah but just because you know other powerful forces kind of made them do it um and you know i was like that's very interesting especially because amazon has kind of become the face of like right, this right. is a behemoth that you can't control and it's like well they kind of did control them a yeah, little they bit did control them right right they uh, did and i uh i find it very inspiring uh yeah. honestly that uh you know working people you know they had they it, it's good to have political allies like bernie uh and rokana and rokana uh you know it's good to have political allies but you know definitely the working people took the lead on it and uh and it was a big accomplishment for them and i think it would have cele- you know would have been celebrated more if it hadn't been for all the boofing uh which was <laughs> taking up well and, and and you know f- not for bad reasons necessarily we had gone through a a take cycle about mm. how badly designed the bill that Bernie wrote to put pressure mm-hmm. on Bezos was. And like, it's true that the content of the bill was, was not good in the sense that like you wouldn't want to implement it. Um, but they maintain that this is not about that. Um, you know, I don't know what, what to make of that, but obviously it worked. It worked. So I guess you say, well, Everyone the proof who, is in the pudding. Yeah, on everyone some level. who wrote those articles needs to go back and admit they're a Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so so yeah, I mean, the upshot of the piece was like, you know, we're spending a lot of time on like improving markets and a lot of time on making markets more competitive and making them work and and reducing labor market frictions. And maybe we should spend a little bit more time on giving people power in the companies where they're in already right. not you know in the labor market or whatever but in the, your company i think this, this coincides with an overall pattern in left versus liberal opinions where the liberal opinion uh, you know when it comes to welfare and when it comes to improving the lives of marginalized people always seems to be we'll make you a better fit we'll make you a better version of yourself so that you can compete better in the world where resources are scarce and some people are going to get screwed we'll make you one of the people who doesn't get screwed we'll use education We'll use training. Uh, we'll do all kinds of projects and programs and techniques uh, in order to make you a version that is more competitive. But I think the left tends to say, yeah, uh, there's nothing wrong with education or training or any of those uh, things if they're desired, uh, but we want to meet people where they are. Uh, and I don't think that, uh, you know, if you're a single mom and you've got some kids, I, I don't really think that your primary goal necessarily needs to be uh, being more competitive in the workplace. What you really need at that time is money, right? You need resources. Right. Yeah. I mean, the distinction I would say is sort of like the way I tried to do it in the piece was like there's an approach. You can group policies in a hundred different ways, yeah. right? And like, I don't mean to say this is the only way to group policies, but that's how I grouped them. Mm-hmm which is to say there's an approach that says like what we need to do is we need to make workers a kind of hotter commodity. Yeah. And you can do that by making them more educated because mm-hmm. hey, more educated workers are a hotter commodity yeah. because that's what you want to hire. Yeah. And you can do that by giving them more employment options. Yep. Now they're a hotter commodity because you got to be careful if you don't get them some other one will and then your business won't have workers. So it's sort of like making them a hotter commodity on the market. Mm hmm. And then the other is just giving them sort of control over the executive functions of business. <laughs> right. Um, and you could do both. They're not at odds with one that's another. That's true. That's um, true. These are not mutually exclusive. But I worry a little bit that we might be leaning 
in the other direction right now. I think that's definitely um, the case. And people are like, oh, we can just fix the market. We can, f- we can, why don't we give them a public job and that sort of thing when it's like, why don't we just give them like, let's also remember that you can just kind of let them control their own wages. Right, exactly. You know? uh, and that seems to be much more in the tradition of uh, encouraging uh, self-determination. <laughs> well, that's the, uh, and I say yeah. in the piece, that's a, that is this sort of social democratic, uh, you know, uh, the approach of the social democracies of Europe that are, you yeah. know, uh, putting aside the definition of the word, that is what they have done, right? Yeah. So like, and part of the reason I was thinking about this recently is because, yeah, if you look at a country like Finland, um, the market is too small yeah, to have a whole, you know, they're going to have concentration. Like the that language market is small, right? Like you want to try to get into it, 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 you know? So, you know, the idea of like improving workers' plight through co- increased labor market competition and that sort of thing, it's just, it's a, it's a no-go in many ways. It's not to say that, that they don't do it and that sort of stuff, but like at the end of the day, you just don't, you got 5 million people speaking a language no one else speaks up way out in like a marginal part of the world. Yeah. There's only going to be so many companies. And so you're going to have to basically give workers co-determining kind of power over what the wages are. Yeah. Um, and Just so I've kind of been inspired by that to say, look, we yeah. can do that. And like, you know, let's not forget that. Let's yeah. not forget that and think you kind of got to double down on improving the market or whatever. So cheers to Bernie. Cheers to the Amazon workers. Cheers. Uh, uh, who do we want to jeer? Um, do I have anyone that I want to jeer this week? There's no news. I mean, cheers that's the to issue. Patrick Leahy for tweeting a real tight shot of his face. Oh yeah, I retweeted his. I retweeted said, his. Yep, selfie. that's me. I thought yep. that was funny. Whoever that was really his comms person was. Yep. Um, I like that, Patrick. There was that DCC ad, which I think has been around for a few months now, but it was the first time I saw it, which is the only good ad that's been made by the Democratic Party in like 40 years. It's uh, amazing. I wonder what they had to, to do in order to get that ad. Some intern, obviously, yeah. over the summer, um, Bernie Bro got in yeah. there, I would imagine, and wrote this script mm-hmm. where they're like, what's going to happen when the people realize we got like all the Republican tax cut? Yeah. And then the guy's like... No, we didn't get all of it. They got some of it. And then there's a, literally a man who is being used as a table. Yeah, who's like a worker. Functioning as furniture. Yeah. yeah, it's like side table. Yeah. You got some. And he's like, oh, it really wasn't that much. Yeah. And then the guy goes, oh, yeah, but not that much. That's a lot to people like him. Yeah. Uh, which is funny. I mean, people yeah. actually did say that. People do say um, things like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then he tells them to shut up. And then they're like, we're job creators. We're job, we're job creators. creators. And everyone's like, creators. yeah, yeah. Pouring one out for the Bernie bro who gave his life to make that DCC. Whoever did that needs to be the president of DCC or needs to be the vice president of advertising at DCC. Like that just needs to be it. Yeah. That was the best ad. It was excellent. In 10 years, 15 years, maybe. I mean, it was incredible. Guy who did that ad or girl. Email me. Email me. Come on the cast. (laughs) Yes. Uh, We'll give you some of the top tier subscriber merch that we have set aside. Uh, we got some some T-shirts, uh, fans of the cast, brewskis, as uh, as we call them. Right. Uh, we're going to get you some brewski shirts, uh, brewski bumper stickers, mugs, mouse pads, all that and more if you made that ad. Yeah, you Email come us. over and we'll feed you. Yeah, I'll make chili or um, something. I had, I had some good chili the other night, I thought. Oh, yeah, it was, it was good. I th- I mean I thought it was especially good. I've been experimenting a little with it. It's like all the other chilies. Nope. I mean that you've made very similar. Well, I mean yeah, I don't I don't you know you don't want to. When you have company coming over, you don't want to get too experimental. Yeah yeah yeah. No, it was good. Yeah. It was good. Um, yeah. Oh, speaking of which, I guess we mentioned this briefly. I don't know if I should go into this or not, or if it's if it's too. Uh, <laughs> Uh, okay, so I'll just do it. Um, is this the socialism thing? No, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. Okay. I mean, I, I can if you want later. I don't well, know. Well, if they you, do it on a different episode. It might be boring. So yeah. we're speaking of, you know, uh, these other mechanisms to help workers right. and that sort of thing. And so we have this, you know, Elizabeth Warren came out with this ac- Accountable Capitalism Act. And, um, you know, it's fine. And um, 
But then there was also, uh, there was a Roosevelt thing that came out a few days ago that I guess is like gearing up to like support the accountable capitalism. All right. Um, Which is helpful in a way because you kind of get to see a little bit more of like what's going on. Like instead of just like a bullet list of like the ideas, like what's the argument? What's the thinking here? Yeah. Um, And it was, it was, I would say a little bit disappointing. Oh no. Um, Why don't you run us through some of the points? Yeah. So, so here's the thing, right? The accountable capitalism act, the really key thing about it, that's actually good. I don't know why it's being sold this way. Exactly. It's just, uh, in big companies, workers are going to have 40% of the board seats. We call that co-determination. It's present in every Nordic country except Finland. It's present in Germany. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn is is promoting it in the UK. It's a pretty long-standing, I don't know if you want to call it socialist or whatever view, yeah. but it's like, well, we're going to put workers at the highest level of company management, which makes you know, sense. Yeah. Is, is at least socialistic in a yeah. moderate sense. Um, and that's a great idea, but that's the only real meaningful idea. Okay. And I, what I'm trying to figure out is I think they're trying to have, um, they're, they're trying, they're trying to promote like accountable capitalism as this kind of broader framework or brand, like a a more broader thing than just like I support co-determination. Yeah. And so they've larded it up with other proposals that are, uh, I would say kind of laughable, frankly. Hit, hit me with a couple. Okay, so one of them, uh, there's really only two other proposals okay. in this, um, frankly. Mm-hmm. And the other two are just really silly. Mm-hmm. One of them is they're going to make you change your corporate purpose statement. Right now, when you file for incorporation, you know, with Delaware or whatever, there's this field on the document that you have to fill out you fill out a lot of things you know where's where's your office where's your address who's your and there's one that says you know what you know what's your purpose Mm -hmm. and it's become a just kind of pointless thing because people just put any legal purpose yeah any any legal purpose any legal purpose any that's just what you put on all of them makes sense that's Um, also what i write down when people ask me what my goals are for my career (laughs) (laughs) and so what they're trying to do is make you do things that are not, that's like, well, you need to put together like a positive statement about how you're going to do good for the community or whatever. Yeah. Um, but they acknowledge in the paper that there are, you know, quote unquote enforcement difficulties. Uh-oh. Like, like what would it mean to be like, okay, instead of writing any legal purpose in that box on mm-hmm. the form, you write, I'll be a good boy, I promise. <laughs> what does that do? How does that change anything? And the only answer would be, well, maybe someone could sue you if you were not being a good boy and say you're violating your corporate purpose. But of course, it would be administratively impossible to have like a court system that was there to like micromanage whether you're actually yeah. being a good boy. Like, it's one that's a kind of vague thing yeah you know like if you're following the law isn't that kind of you're kind of being a good boy as best we can tell i mean like from there it becomes a sort of normative judgment and how are courts going to make that like so realistically that it means nothing yeah you would take it to court and be like i don't think they're being a good boy and the court would be like "Uh, i don't you know dismiss you know i can't what am i supposed to do yeah um second guess every corporate decision about whether they're good boys or not that would the courts that would be impossible um it says in our mission statement we are a purpose-driven company and lately uh, i've been feeling very purposeless yeah is that really purpose can Uh, i really call it purpose at this point so that so that's part of it it's like ooh, a new corporate purpose statement i mean it's it's a parody it's a parody and i feel bad because it's attached to co-determination which is one of the more bold one of the most bold things out there right now yeah like it's a very serious and like but they've <laughs> connected it to write a more a more positive mission statement basically that's unenforceable in every meaningful sense on the other hand it will create job opportunities for writers no no i mean what's going to happen is some big law firm will settle on a pro forma phrase oh, that no. will satisfy the requirement and then now instead of every box saying any legal purpose it will say 
whatever that is, whatever no, that law firm comes up like with. I want them to like actually write a mission statement, like no. you see on the bulletin board at a doctor's office, like a small pediatrician's office in Fort Worth. No, no it's not going to happen. You know, we're committed to the health of the children of North Texas. No, and I mean, one of the reasons why you couldn't be too specific in the mission statement is because then you start like constraining what you can do. Yeah. It's like, well, what if the business evolves and we decide that we don't want to just be in North Texas, that we also want to be in Oklahoma while now we're against our purpose <sighs> mission statement? Yep. Like, That's how I would interpret so that. So, could, so like, it's just going to generally be like, uh, produce value for the uh, workers, the economy and the world or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, pointless and then the second one is basically the same thing sort of which is right now companies have a quote-unquote fiduciary duty to shareholders right um but what that really means in practice it's the same problem with enforcement which is okay how do i sue you for violating your fiduciary duty to shareholders well i gotta take you to court and then say you didn't do that but how do i know like, I can't just say he made this decision and was really bad because, you know, yeah. a lot of decisions are going to not turn out well in a business, right? Like the iPhone could have been a total flop and all the money spent developing it would have been a total waste to the yeah. shareholders. So could you sue for that? Because I it was would. A flop? Hell yeah. I'd be like, this product <laughs> sucked. What am I paying you for? So, so like it would be, you know, it would be impossible. So like what they do now is they have this thing called the business judgment presumption. Uh-huh. And so basically the way that works is like the, the courts just presume that, you know, you made a good business, you made the best business judgment you sort of could, and you were following your fiduciary duty. Unless there's some like proof that in the process of making the decision, you really were like, fuck the shareholders, I don't care about them, I'm going to do this. Or, yeah. you know, there was something about... It's like willfully malicious. Right. Like you couldn't, you can't use the outcome basically yeah. as yeah. a point. You it's have to... Consequentialist. Yeah you have to use the process because yeah. that's the only evidence because outcomes can be bad or good yeah. even if the decision was okay. Yeah, or trust whatever. that damn process. And so the, the change is instead of just having a basically meaningless fiduciary duty to shareholders, we're also going to have a meaningless fiduciary duty to employees, to the community, to other stakeholders. And so like the upshot is again... And they admit this again. There's still going to be a business judgment presumption where basically anything you do, the judge is going to rubber stamp and be like, okay, unless there's something in your record when you're, you know, in the process of making the decision where you're like, fuck our workers, I don't care about them, then you could get sued. Yeah. But like, it just becomes again, it's like, okay, you get your lawyer to write the statement that says, we think that closing this plant will be good for the workers, for our shareholders, because uh, it'll make the uh, con it'll make the uh, business stronger, mm -hmm. which will be better for our remaining workers, etc. Like that's all you got to do. Pointless. And it's just like I just can't believe that we're about to go down this road again, yep. where the main framework <laughs> involves mostly meaningless bullshit. Um, that's, that's a, that's common to the entire discourse obsession over meaningless bullshit process args and words. I mean, I think the, the like charitable way to think about it, maybe like if I'm trying to figure out what's going on is like, there's a, um, uh, they, there's a belief that has, uh, propagated, which is not a necessarily wrong one that a big problem we have now is that back in the day, you know, corporate directors were more high-minded, more civically-minded. You know, they weren't just trying to make the most profit. They also cared about their workers. They also cared about the local community. You know, they wouldn't just outsource to other countries. And, you know, like... True captains of industry. Right, yeah. It's like the benevolent mm -hmm. corporate leader or whatever. And what's happened in the past few years is they've just become sort of just viciously extractive and whatever. And, like... What that means is what they're really identifying there is a problem in a a, a a problematic shift in corporate culture. Yeah, they're like corporate culture is really degraded from True. from shareholder high-minded value-creating capitalism to just vulture extractive capitalism. Yeah. From good capitalism to bad capitalism, and that 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 might be true. Mm -hmm. But then the problem is, what do you want to do about it? The government is not uh, able to change culture 
not you I mean it can like to some degree but it's not it's not easy fund an arts commission to inundate corporate leaders with artwork that supports uh responsible capitalism right. you Mo- could run films movies you could get the the stop smoking ad people to write a like stop being a bad corporate director stuff yeah. like that i mean that's like normally it's like yeah psas and stuff like that you could maybe use that to change culture and i don't mean to say that obviously lawmaking and stuff like that you know it sends messages and but it's it's very hard to yeah, but again, there's like an indirect and bizarre, drawn out and less effective way to do this. And then there's just uh, using power. Well, you could just take the power. I mean, that's yeah. sort of like, I, and I, it's weird because I think this is how, I mean, I wouldn't say my stuff is like relevant on the same level as this stuff because mm-hmm. I haven't gotten a, uh, a candidate to like adopt it yet. But like, that's how I see it shaking out to some degree. Yeah is my view and the reason why I promote the social wealth fund, which is a big fund that basically gradually socializes ownership of all the stock and other things in the country is to say, look, man, uh, if we're worried about this extractive uh, uh, system where the shareholders are just beating everyone over the head and everything is uh, oriented around their interests, just, just expropriate them you know <laughs> like yeah. if you just if you just take the stuff and now you're the owner then then that you know th- that goes a, goes take a hold long way master man um and don't shy th- away from your destiny workers and this is like well what if we can just get the corporate directors to pay less attention to them and the way we're going to do this are basically these weird nudges where we're like write a statement about how you're going to be a good boy and make sure that you consider everyone when you make decisions. Like that's like with yeah. nothing else to it. Um, Basically begging them. Yeah, and it's like I get. I don't want to criticize the attempts because I have no idea. I couldn't tell you. Here's a better way to change the culture. Yeah. I couldn't tell you how to do that. Um, because of course I'm, I'm not even trying to do that. Yeah. Um, um, but it's like that's where we are. Um, and so that's a very depressing thing that like a major um, side of policy idea is around how can we get the corporate directors to develop a more healthy culture. And uh, I'm going to actually put up a a Google form on the Patreon site uh, where each of our listeners can also commit to being a good boy. And I will also write a statement for our podcast where we both commit to be good as well. Yeah, I, I did have to write a purpose statement, I think, for PPP from the yeah. the filings I did. Mm-hmm. And I do think I, even though I'm like a one man thing, I didn't have any legal help because yeah. I, I like pretend to be a lawyer. Um, I do think I just put any legal purpose. Yeah, <laughs> you got to keep it open, man. PPP, yeah, why constrain yourself? PPP, you're all shareholders for uh, this podcast, seeing as you're all subscribers uh, to the Patreon. No, that makes them consumers. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, and uh, so I'll be interested in seeing all of your mission statements. You can file those as soon as possible. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, Matt and I will be drafting our mission statement uh, where we specify that we're going we're gonna to generate value for the world, honestly. Generate value, yeah. Value, value creation, that's what value I'm about. Value adding. Value adding job. I want to increase the adding. gross value add of the U.S. That's what we're going to do that's right here on the Bruning cast. <laughs> uh, thank you, Brewskies, for tuning in, and we'll be back next time. All right. Bye.